Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Welcome back to Midwretched, our pre-fall edition, as we were just discussing. Yes, it is a special season called pre-fall, where it's still hot as the devil's butt crack in the Midwest. Yeah, we're sitting here in blankets, fantasizing about soup <laughs> season. Yes. Uh, You're growing a pumpkin called Pumpkin Philip. Pumpkin Philip has four brothers. Ooh. I discovered. So is Pumpkin Philip's name a reference to the witch? What? No. What? No, tell me this. I didn't do it on purpose. I just picked oh, Philip. And okay. Pumpkin Philip just sounded more important. Okay, so in The Witch, uh, which is a, an amazing <gasps> horror Black movie. Phillip. Black Philip. Black Philip, yeah. Oh my god, I didn't even... You know what, that nugget had to be somewhere deep, deep in my brain. I think it had. It was a subconscious decision, but as soon as I saw the caption, I was like, do you want to dance with the devil in the dark moonlight and this pumpkin? I do love that movie. It's so good. So, oh, I really love do it, because it's pre-fall. Yes, yeah, do it. so... I have my pumpkin patches going crazy. Pumpkin Philip is like the size of Tommy's head. <laughs> <laughs> I got a big head. Yeah, I got a I got a pinhead. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm jealous of people with actual heads <laughs> and four heads. I have a two I head. Five. Head. It's just a. It's a two. <laughs> like, look, it's literally a two head. I need more. Uh, anymore. But yeah, so anyway. we're celebrating pre-fall. We are. We are. Thank goodness. It makes me feel so much better about just the disgustingness that is the weather here. It's so humid that it's just like soup outside. The soup I wish I was eating in a nice, cool house. A nice, cool November day. (sighs) One day. One One day. day. Anyway. But today. (laughs) But today... We are back for part two of Nico Jenkins, right? Yes, we are. Should we do a quick recap of yes. last week? I would like to hear a quick recap, please. Okay. Because we have been recording everything out of order. So. Yeah. Yeah. My brain's... A- so you recap. I'm going to eat some of this chocolate and then I'll, I'll be back with you. All right. So quick recap. So last week we talked about Nico Jenkins. Nico was born to Lori Jenkins and David McGee, flat in the middle of a infamous family, a family very infamous to Omaha police. We went over the stats last episode of however many arrests, however many custody cases, however many craziness. Basically, the Jenkins were known for their history of crime, both petty and felony crime. Family members that were involved in everything from small-time theft and burglary to murder for generations before Nico entered the picture. Um, A combination of poverty, intergenerational trauma, and a lifetime of being shifted between unhealthy family dynamics and systems, child services, group homes, juvenile detention. Eventually, at the age of 15, Nico Jenkins is sent to prison for a series of carjackings. He serves 10 years in prison, so basically from the age of 16 to 26, he is in prison, of which he spends about 50% of his time in solitary confinement. Mm. That whole time, well, I shouldn't say that whole time, probably about the last four to five years of that time, he is repeatedly asking for transfer to mental health facilities. He's on and off medications, specifically Risperdone and Depakote, an antipsychotic and a mood stabilizer. 
the prison psychologists and psychiatrists, as well as consulting agencies, are going back and forth, arguing and having little squabbles about whether or not he is really mentally ill or if he's faking his symptoms, which include homicidal ideation, self-mutilation, command hallucinations from the Egyptian god Apophis. And... The prison is more concerned about whether or not he's faking these than doing anything about it. And the result of their squabbles and Nico repeatedly asking and telling staff saying, I'm not stable. I'm going to kill again. I'm going to go on a killing spree the second you release me. So you should probably put me (laughs) in a civil commitment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the result of that is that... He is released with no restrictions and no supports back into the community after he served 10 years in prison. Is that right? That sounded about right? (laughs) Yes. And that was a cutting recap. Oh, thank you. I feel like all your zingers were all in the right place. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, well done. Well done. Thanks, friend. You're welcome. So... So he's out now, and that's where we pick up. Before I jump into our next story, I'm going to start off with a quick moment to say a lot of this story that we're going to talk about today, it has a lot of he said, she said qualities in terms of the crimes. There's a lot of conflicting statements and disagreements between participants. Um, So there'll be a little bit of, according to this person, according to Mm. that person, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sticking with kind of what the court said as the final decision. Also, other side note, maybe I'll cut this. I don't know. I was thinking about the reasons that the, like, mental health professionals in the prison gave for not admitting him to civil commitment. I am so curious about your thoughts on that because it's just really, that is what, like, when I have been thinking about this case since recording part one, that's what I've been the most stuck on. So I've been thinking about it because the reasons that they gave was that the diagnosis that most people kind of settled on and that they were arguing about was antisocial personality disorder, Mm -hmm. which he probably had. I'm not going to dispute that. Sure. But the fact that there is no kind of evidence-based or FDA-cleared treatment or medication for that, that he does not qualify for civil commitment. But I was thinking about that because there are also not a lot of approved treatments for pedophilia either. Yeah. And pedophilia and paraphilias are really like the primary reason we send people to civil commitment. Oh, good point. That's interesting. So I'm like, what's the, what what are we really arguing about here? Yeah. So it's not like there's not a precedent. Yeah. Basically. Huh. Yeah, that's alarming. What were your thoughts? Well, I I don't have enough knowledge of the field to know the why, but I guess I was just, I was very concerned that we don't have adequate systems in place for people that are literally telling us that they want to go inflict harm and... You know, if, if we were in a school setting, then you'd have, you know, disciplinary actions you could take there. If we were in, if he was already in a mental health setting, I feel like 
he would probably go under a different kind of supervision, right? But like, so I guess like the parallel, my, my, my question was like, if he is, you know, says he's going to do these terrible things mm-hmm. and he gets released anyway, what would it take for him to, to voluntarily commit himself? And what would it take for him to involuntarily commit himself? Like for somebody else to. That's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm betting we probably have some listeners that will be like, well, why didn't he just go to the hospital at, mm-hmm. by himself? So if you were sitting in my office and you were saying where Nico Jenkins was sitting in my private practice office mm-hmm. and he was saying, I'm going to hurt people. I can't control these urges, blah, 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 blah. My first go-to is, hey, I'm worried about you. Let's talk about going to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Again, knock on wood, I've always been able to have that conversation with people, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's in, good. A, in a positive and, like, mutual way, such mm-hmm. that the person is, okay, you know what? I think that this is a good idea. I think this is I what hear I want you. to do. Yeah. I hear you. Maybe I do need extra help and whatever. So that would be... a a voluntary inpatient stay. Mm -hmm. And that would require him to go to the hospital to say, hey, I need to be admitted. I'm having this, that, and the other urges. And depending on what the hospital would say, a good hospital is going to say, okay, we're going to admit you. Come Mm -hmm. in here. Stay. We will put you under observation. We will get your medication managed. We will make sure that you have inpatient care and aftercare. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of like the ideal of what would happen. But then it's also like not just, well, I think that's probably what you're getting to. Like, it's not just the hospital has to be good, but you also have to have the insurance that's going to help you navigate that, the savvy to then navigate that, the support system to help you maintain a medication schedule outside of that setting, right? Yep. Like, all these systems have to be in place for that to be a successful. Option. Exactly. You have to have the insurance coverage to stay there and probably outside, like just coming out of prison, he doesn't have insurance. They would probably still take him anyway, just mm-hmm. as risk um, and either get him on Medicaid or Medicare while he's there with a good social worker or like a lot of hospitals do take the loss because of ethics. <laughs> yes, ethics are important. <laughs> But then also there's the aftercare of like, okay, you he can't stay here forever. Mm-hmm. What do we say? Residential care, private residential care is ridiculously difficult to find as an adult. Yeah, yeah. But so the, the other way that this can go. So again, say Nico Jenkins is sitting in my office and I'm like, bro, let, let's have this talk. I think you need a higher level of care. I think you need to go to the hospital. And he refuses. Um in my state, what we call is a petition and certification or a petition cert. Mm-hmm. So I would have to petition to have him involuntarily hospitalized. And I would write down everything that he said. He made these threats. This is why I'm concerned that he can't keep himself or other people safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to hand that off to a hospital like an EMT that came to get him. And then the admitting doctor at the hospital would have to certify my petition Mm. and admit him wow so it's like insane amount of bureaucracy well you think about that but i also think it's important for it to be a two-person system because that's true 
I would worry about the ability for a single mental health provider or a single provider of any sort to abuse that system. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. And again, I've seen that go good ways and bad ways. The other option would be what we call um, the Tarasov laws. Mm -hmm. And that is if he made a specific and targeted threat toward a person, we would be able to uh, breach confidentiality and contact the police Mm -hmm. to do a wellness. Well, you can call a wellness check no matter what. Yeah. But that would be different. Like to contact the police regarding a specific threat that would be possible. Yeah. But for for professional purposes, it would have to be a detailed plan. To invoke Tarasov, yes. To mm-hmm. do a petition cert, no. Oh, okay. So if somebody made like a vague threat, you could still That's clinical judgment. Sure. It's clinical sure. judgment and I think the clinical judgment is where it comes that you need that second person. Mm-hmm. So so to cut back in, here's Nico <laughs> Jenkins. Mm-hmm. He's just been released. He has no mental health care support net. He has mm-hmm. no, I, I presume, nowhere to go. So what we'll talk. Next? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that quick. I want to do a quick reminder uh, to our listeners. So we were talking about kind of potential diagnoses. Antisocial personality was one that was thrown around. Um, PTSD was the one that nobody argued this man had PTSD, mm-hmm. but also schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and schizoaffective disorder were also being thrown around. And those mm-hmm. were the ones that professionals were less clear about. Got so it. just to have kind of those diagnoses and health concerns kind of in our minds. Mm. But yes. Yeah. That's so a lot. that brings us to July 30th, 2013, when Nico is released from prison with all of that going on. He is released into the custody of his family. Recall that his family did try to get him civilly committed. Mm -hmm. But this is going to be weird. So stick with me, friends. (laughs) So he's released to his family and his family decides to have a kind of welcome home party for him. Or what his mother would call a, quote, family first get together. At the local travel lodge. Hi, travel lodge. (laughs) Wow, that is Midwestern. (laughs) So Midwestern. (laughs) Um, So his mother, his sisters, uncles, cousins, other family members were all in attendance, as well as Nico Jenkins' wife, Shalonda Jenkins, and girlfriend, Sherry Floyd. I'm not going to go into too much detail of this, because honestly, there are so many rabbit holes I could have gone down in Mm -hmm. researching this. Nico Jenkins had, like, just a plethora of girlfriends that he managed to make in prison and some of them had his name tattooed on their face and it was really weird and they would all sit together at the trial that we'll talk about um it was just like randomly dropped in a bunch of different articles that he had this like collection of girlfriends interesting there was one article i forget the exact title but it was like Nico Jenkins, alpha male with harem of wives, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. It's not that important to the story that we're going to tell, so I decided Mm -hmm. not to go down that rabbit hole. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, so we're at this family first gathering at the Travel Lodge. (laughs) (laughs) So many good stories begin. So many good stories start at the Travel Lodge. (laughs) 
They have food, music. Nico is talking about his plan, his post-prison plans. His girlfriend, Sherry Floyd, had shared. Nico told her that his plan was to move to Florida to start fresh. Specifically, he was going to move to Florida, commit a few robberies, eventually work his way down to Cuba, where he would either become an MMA fighter or join the Cuban military. Okay. Those were his plans. Those were his plans. All right. That's a life path. That's a path to choose. You know, he's young. He's 26. Mm-hmm. Also, at this party, he would reunite with an old family member named Anthony Wells, who would present Nico with a prison release gift. A gift of a shotgun. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect post-release gift. Now, Anthony... Or, no. So... Floyd, his girlfriend, would maintain in court that it was this family member that gave him the shotgun and showed him how to wipe it down, clean the bullets, clean the fingerprints off of it, that she witnessed this at the party. She said that Nico even raised the gun high in the air and hollered over to her saying, you see what my homies, you see what my homie does for me? In court, and this would kind of lead to a very dramatic court TV moment, mm. um, that Nico's mother and other family members, while Floyd was testifying, would get up and yell and insist that it wasn't Wells, that it was Cheryl Floyd herself that actually gave Nico the gun and the bullets, not Wells. Hmm. So the court accepted that it was Anthony Wells. Interesting. Also at that party, you had said he doesn't really have a place to go. Yeah. So Nico's mother kind of drags over a cousin, Brian. So this is a cousin of his that he hadn't really seen in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Brian grew up with them, but kind of had lost touch as they got a little bit older. And obviously Nico had been in prison for 10 years. But Lori says, hey, Brian, could Nico stay with you? She felt that Brian was a good influence and would keep Nico away from the gangs. Interesting. Okay. Again, Brian would say, you know what? I'd kind of lost touch with him. I didn't know much about him, but I kind of felt I had a family obligation, so I said yes. Mm-hmm. A few days later, Nico would move in with Brian, and Brian would go on to say that during the few days that Nico was there, Nico would walk around the house carrying a sawed-off shotgun. At times, Nico's sister Erica Jenkins would come over with a loaded gun in her purse as well. Mm. So this is making Brian a little uncomfortable. I would imagine... Although at the same time, like, it's, it seems like it's kind of, I mean, we know that violence is a kind of a part of the family constellation, I guess, you know? The whole family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, Lori said, keep Nico away from the gangs. It seems like there's still trickling in of gangs, of crime, of all of that stuff. Go listen yeah. to episode one. It's mm-hmm. a trip. It is. It is a trip. <laughs> So Nico's living with Brian, and then that is going to bring us to the night of August 10th, 2013. Nico meets up with his sister Erica and another cousin, Christine Bordeaux. This family is fucking huge, okay? Yeah, it is. So it's Nico, Erica, and Christine Bordeaux. Um, This is going to get a little bit confusing because testimonies and stories constantly are changing in the news Mm. um so they said that they all met up at a nightclub called tequila but the cops would later find out that that nightclub wasn't even open that night so i don't really know where then they met up Hmm. but somewhere along during that night 
the three of them, Nico, Erica, and Christine, met up with three men. Nico, Erica, and Christine concoct a scheme to rob these three men. Erica and Christine decided that they were going to lure the men out under the guise of offering them sex. And then Nico would come out and rob them, take their money, and run off. There were three men originally. The third guy actually left to go get cash out of an ATM. Hmm. But the other two men agree to meet the women. So they drive off to a separate location to meet Christine and Erica. It sounds like they drove off a few blocks to a kind of way more out-of-the-way intersection. I Google Maps to this, but it's not <laughs> that important. Mm. The two men, their names were Juan Uribe Pena and Jorge Ruiz Cajiga. I'm terrible with names. I am so sorry, guys. It's, yeah, I mean, it's in the, it's in the neighborhood. It's in the ballpark. Uribe. Uribe. Yeah. Anyway, we're not shaming you. No, please, like, go ahead and shame me, because... I tried even to practice these, but also... You did, and you also ever feel like you asked... Oh, you asked me before how much you should try to yeah. kind of take on an accent. Yeah, I remember this Because I okay. feel like... I feel worse when I try to pronounce it with an accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Listeners, tell me if I'm dumb or not. I don't know. <laughs> Do you really want to open up that question? <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so Erica and Christine drive to a wooded area to meet the two men. The two women get out of the car. And as they get out of their car, Nico emerges from a small wooded brush and starts shooting into the truck. Pena okay. was shot in the backseat of the truck in the head by Jenkins. And Kahiga was in the front seat of the truck and shot in the hand and in the head. Ugh. Erica and Christine then dig through the men's pockets mm. and take whatever money they can and rush off. Wow. That, oof. Okay, go on. That is a very cold thing. It's just really cold. It's cruel. Yeah. yeah. Christine would later testify that they went back to one of the Jenkins's home where Lori was waiting. Lori asked Nico what had happened. Nico told him that he and Erica shot two men. And she asked them, well, did you get any money? Lori's the mom or the girlfriend? Mom. Okay. Wow. That morning around 5 a.m., police discover the bodies inside of the truck and begin the investigation into the murder. Now, for what it's worth, I know that we really often try to talk about kind of the victims and give a little bit of their story and who they are. I could not find anything about these two men. Um, A lot of the papers would have information about some of the other victims that we'll talk about. There was nothing. That's sad, because it it communicates that their lives were probably pretty rough. And so I don't know anything about the men, and I wish I did. Yeah. But police are starting an investigation. They, However, it's not long, only eight days later on August 18th, that the next incident will occur. August 18th, a young man named Curtis Bradford leaves his mother's home to attend a family barbecue. 
Curtis had also recently been released from prison for robbery just a few months prior. Curtis had been involved in some gang activity when he was young, um, but according to his mother, he had done his time. She was saying that he was really making efforts to get out of the gangs. Um, I will say Curtis's mom really, really fought for him. Like, she was in court every single fucking day. There was a bunch of interviews with her out there in the papers. And she was like, listen, he made some mistakes. He was a young kid. He was in his early 20s. He was trying to make it right, but he gave into a lot of temptation. He was a naive young kid. Yeah. While he was in prison, he actually served time with Nico. Interesting. Yes. Okay. They had shared some time together. They had befriended each other in prison and had actually planned to meet together when Nico was released. Really? When Curtis Bradford left his home last night, he shouted to his mother, I love you forever. And his mom shouted back, I love you forever, for always. I know, right? Really in her heart, she was just like, just hoping that he would be able to resist temptation and stay out of trouble. Yeah. So Omaha seemed to have some really small town vibes. (laughs) Because (laughs) that barbecue that Curtis Bradford went, Nico was right across the street. Really? Uh, Yeah. His family members said that they saw Curtis talking to Nico across the street. They even went so far as to take a picture and post it on Facebook together. Wow. Seemingly throwing gang signs. Yes, you do. At this meeting, it is reported. So again, we're kind of going into what were the court, what did um, witnesses testify in court? Um, it's reported that Bradford went over to Nico's sister's house where Nico showed off his new gun. Honestly, not certain if this was the same shotgun he got at the party or a different one. There's a lot of guns throughout this. Yeah. But at this meeting, it seemed that he showed off his gun and the two had collaborated, made plans to commit a robbery later. Mm. Curtis goes back to the barbecue he's at. Nico goes back to his sister's house where his sisters, Erica and Melanie, both are. Okay. Melanie testified that sister Erica got mad at Nico for having Bradford over. Erica apparently was really upset because she claimed, there's no evidence to this, she claimed that Curtis Bradford and his gang had shot up her house in a drive-by days prior to this. Okay. During this confrontation between Nico and Erica, Erica said, I'm going to kill him. Okay. So later that night, Nico meets up with Bradford as they had planned. But this time, sister Erica... And baby sister Lori Sales come along for the ride. Mm. Lori claims that she believed that they were just going to commit a robbery. Mm. The four drive down a dark alley. The two men pull on gloves and grab the guns out of the car. As they're getting out of the car, Erica jumps out. Nico yells to Lori to jump into the driver's seat. But she says she got confused. She didn't do anything. She didn't move. As Erica's jumping out of the car, she grabs her gun and shoots Bradford, hitting him in the head. Jeez. Apparently, Bradford survived that gunshot. So Nico pushes her out of the way, jumps forward, and shoots Bradford again in the head. Wow. Nico and Erica jump back into the car with Nico in the driver's seat and rush away. Hmm. 
they head toward the cousin they were staying with, Brian. They head toward his house. Brian testified that he saw Nico cleaning off an assault rifle in the shower. Okay. Nico and Erica told Brian about all of the events, with Erica complaining that Nico, quote, took my first kill. The reason why I think that it's important to talk about Nico ran into the shower to clean off the gun is that goes toward he was fully sane at the time of that murder. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. That is, he was was aware that he had to cover up evidence. Brian claimed that at that moment when he was sitting in the house listening to them talk that he was too scared to go to the police. Hmm. Um, remember he was a close family member it doesn't seem like he was super close to this branch of the Jenkins family that was so involved in the criminal activity and he claimed that he didn't go to the police because he was scared Nico was still living with him and he was afraid to confront Nico I mean I would be afraid of Nico too yes police would discover Bradford's body pretty quickly early the next morning kind of pre-dawn hours Um, and begin investigating. Nico would actually be connected to the crime pretty quickly. Nico does not do a great job of covering his tracks. There's security cam footage. There's a whole mess of evidence that he's leaving in his wake. Oh, okay. Police tracked down Nico to a local YMCA um, where he was working out at the gym. So he was working out and police come to question him. And Nico said, I'm not talking to you until I'm done with my workout. Hmm. So he literally makes police wait for him to finish his workout, his weightlifting. Wow. He is really interesting. He's got a lot of narcissism, man. Yeah, he's so interesting. Finally, when he's done, police question him. Nico denied killing Bradford, obviously. Sure. Saying that Bradford was probably killed by local blood gang members because... Nico claimed that Bradford was still an active member of the Camden Block Crips. Mm. Again, we don't know. We know what his mom said was that he was trying to get out of this lifestyle, which I get. Yeah. Um, I'm going to believe Bradford's mom before I believe anything Nico Jenkins says. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Police felt like this was clearly not the whole story, but at the time they hadn't processed the evidence enough to make an arrest. So they keep their mm. eye on Nico. What they do take note of is that, that Nico's affect during the entire interview was described as, quote, emotionless when he spoke about Bradford's death, as if he were reading his response off a paper. Hmm. So take that for what it is. Yeah. I'm trying to just kind of keep it like, cataloged in my brain because there's so many pieces and I don't want to make like an assumption now that's going to then get perhaps overturned by the next detail you know well because and I think that's what was hard for me okay I don't know if you've ever experienced this I was so glad to be done writing this yes I have had that experience before because I was like there's so many pieces swirling around and I have read so much shit and there are pieces that simply don't make sense yeah, like I have thoughts, but I, d- I don't want to share them yet. Um, let's let's finish going through this, and I will probably, we'll stop before we get to court. Okay. Okay? Because mm-hmm. we have one more 
event we need to talk about. Yikes. So that was August 18th into August 19th, um, 2013. Mm-hmm. We're not moving up too far. We're going to jump to August 21st, 2013, okay. around 2 a.m. Andrea Kruger is driving home from a late bartending shift at Deja Vu Lounge. Now we have, um, just because of her family was very active in a lot of stuff, um, we have a lot more information about Andrea, so I want to speak a little bit to her story. Mm. Andrea was a hometown Nebraska girl. She grew up in Nebraska, attended the University of Omaha, where she earned a business degree. Nice. <laughs> she married Michael Ryan Kruger, and the two had oldest son, who was about a preteen age, and two younger daughters. Her youngest daughter was born with a disability. She was actually born without a hand. I'm not exactly sure what her diagnosis was. Mm. But obviously, when you have a kid with a disability and medical conditions that require surgery, therapies, a million other interventions, I see your face, girl. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of things that were otherwise coming at you go on hold. Mm -hmm. And your family plans change quite a bit. Yes, yes, they, they very much do. Andrea's work in business went on hold, and she chose to be a stay-at-home mom to give her daughter all the support she needed through therapies. Oh, for fuck's sake. And her husband took on extra jobs so that he could keep the budget together. I'm sorry. This is my entire life. Okay. I am sorry. As soon as I I heard about this, I was like, I'm going to make Tommy so upset. Yeah. Yeah. This is my literal life. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, eventually, again, medical bills being what they are, Andrea decided to, I mean, decided she was going to try to go back to work. Um, she chose to, to balance out their family schedules. She took a late night bartending shift, a closing bartending shift mm. at a bar called Deja Vu. I have worked these hours before without children and they are rough. Yeah. You get off at 2 a.m. and you just go home and crash. Mm-hmm. And I imagine her life was like, get up, dedicate your life to the kids. As soon as husband gets home, hand him off, burn yourself out, and then go home, crash, and yeah. start up again. Yeah. I mean, today my therapist asked how long it's been since I took a shower. I had to think. Yeah, I'm going to hold up a fingers to tell you how many days, but I don't want listeners to know because I need it. (laughs) Can you smell me from there? No, I love you. I love you too much. And even if I could, I would say no. Yeah, I know. Because I love you. But like you, Andrea did this with grace and dignity. Thank you. All the people that spoke for her said that she just, she kept all of her energy for her kids. And she always, with her kids, had a smile on her face, no matter how tough things were. She was joyful, loving. Yeah. (sighs) Which kind of makes this, again, really, really awful. So... After her shift on August 21st, Andrea's driving home um, after closing the bar, tired, but probably very excited to sleep. She makes a quick pit stop at McDonald's on the way home. As she's pulling out of the McDonald's, she's spotted by a car full of Jenkinses. 
Nico, Erica, Christine, and Uncle Warren Levering. Nico, Erica, Christine, and Uncle. Okay. The four ambush Andrea, Andrea as she stops at an intersection. Nico pulls out a high-point rifle and orders her out of the car. It seems like there was a level of scuffle of Andrea fighting back. Nico shot four times. He pulls her body out, leaves her body in the street on the side of the drive, and drives away in her SUV. Oh my god, how ugly. Some more of the Jenkinses jump in the car. Christine would later testify that Erica once again started yelling at Nico, why didn't you throw her in the ditch? Meanwhile, Uncle Warren tried to convince the rest of the Jenkinses to take the car to commit more robberies. They decided they didn't want to do that for whatever reason, and eventually Uncle Warren says, okay, well, we need to burn the car then. They take the car outside of town and make what would be described as police as, quote, a feeble attempt to destroy evidence. the phone. So they ambush her, carjack her. Did they get anything else from her other than the vehicle? Just the vehicle, which they would later try pathetically to torch. So then can we call, like, would we call this a thrill kill? Like, was that the purpose of this? They all felt like thrill kills to me. Every single one of them. Because even if you say those first two, they got, what, pocket change? It was inconsequential. Yeah. They all Mm. felt like thrill kills to me. And remember, uh, Erica is along for all of them. Christine is along for three of the four. Andrea's body would be found early the next morning. Her husband and her brother really seemed like they were absolutely destroyed by this. And, like, how could you not be? Everybody says this, but they really felt like they should have done more. Mm -hmm. They should have been there to protect her. They felt like, you know, a lot of... They felt a lot of guilt, undue guilt, because there there would be no reason for it. Um... Later that week, police would host a press conference connecting all fo- all three of the crimes together in the series and sharing what limited evidence that they had. Linked by ballistics? Not by ballistics, because mm. different guns were used. We would never actually find out why, and we will okay. talk about why. It did seem like they had surveillance video. Like I said, they did not really mm. think these yeah, out. Yeah, true. Some of the evidence included a Jenkins, quote, associate buying ammunition for the gun. In court, they would later reveal that this was actually Lori Jenkins. Yeah. So Mama Jenkins buying the ammunition oh for the murders. This is so... It's just so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. There are reasons why yeah. I'm excited to put this yeah, to bed. Yeah, I, I don't blame <laughs> So police are actually doing some decent work on the back end. Apparently, there was a decent amount of evidence actually left in Kruger's car. They found DNA, hair. There were probably ballistics and, like I said, video surveillance. And police already Mm -hmm. had their eyes on Jenkins, like I said. I didn't include this in my notes because it's a little kind of more of a postscript. Jenkins believes that he was, quote, set up and there was this conspiracy to get him back into prison. I think that's more of his paranoia mental Mm. health symptoms but we'll we'll, we'll talk about it 
Well, I just, I feel very unsatisfied. I, well, I wanted to see what mommy looked like, so that's what I was Googling. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just feel very... Ah, interesting. Not what I pictured. So I wonder if you're having the same experience that I have. I'm trying to, to I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. I was yeah. when I was researching this. So in researching this, I get the first part, and it's a lot of talking about mental illness, solitary confinement, blah, 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 all of that stuff. And so you're really like, okay, the system mm-hmm. really did fuck up here. And then you hear about his crimes and how family-oriented, for lack of a better word, it was, and how much of a thrill killer yeah. he seemed to be. And you're like, well, where the fuck is Apophis in all of this? That is one of like, my questions. Yeah, is... like, what happened? Because it just, it yeah. doesn't, I guess the thing that is bothering me, that I'm trying to figure out how to say it, is, like, it's not all syncing up. Like... I feel like, like, okay, like this man has, you know, very, he very obviously has some, some severe mental illnesses going on here. Okay. But mm-hmm. A, I think it, it, it's feeling to me so far, like it's kind of misleading to, to call it the Nico Jenkins case in a lot of ways. Like this, this is like a, fa- this oh, is yeah, a family is. pastime is. is what this is. That's what it's feeling like mm-hmm. to me. It's a whole Jenkins family story. Yeah, and, and it doesn't feel yeah. to me even like he's necessarily the epicenter of it. I feel like... His family does. feels it like totally a totally does. And I almost feel like mom was pulling more strings than anybody else. So, this is a little bit of a spoiler. Let me get okay. myself all settled here. <laughs> this is a little bit of a spoiler, uh... A lot of family members would be well, trying. Yeah, I would members. imagine. A lot so. of them would yeah. go down. Erica actually mm. got a life sentence as well. Reading some of the coverage of mom, it I think is what is mm. the most polarizing, because there are thoughts that oh, mom was just she had no idea any of this was going on. She was just you know she was a pawn of Nico's just mm. like everybody else. And, and that was really how I think her lawyer tried to phrase it. Like, oh, she was just awash yeah. in chaos. But I'm with you. I feel like mom was very yeah. aware. And it, like, Nico doesn't parse to me as a ringleader. And, like, that's, it, it really just, that's not making sense for me at all. And maybe there's going to be more that will make that make sense. But at this point that's it's it's feeling very collaborative to me i guess like it's not feeling like you know nico had this plan and everybody else was along for it so i'll spill my kind of like armchair Mm -hmm. psychoanalyzing on this one because obviously like i don't have access to his court records i don't have access to his psych evals um yeah i wish i did but if we're talking about kind of diagnosis and we're talking about what might have actually been going on with him, I feel like antisocial personality disorder is surely sure. at play here. I also feel like this is probably more mm. bipolar with or without mm. the psychotic symptoms. Those could have very well could have been a play 
But a lot of this feels like a manic episode. That his family kind of pushed along and well i also have to think like so much of mental health stuff especially when we get into the more severe ends of it like there is a strong genetic component to those things right so like we're also talking about potentially a whole family that shares this entire like web of of pathologies right like it's not like it's just nico Mm mm-hmm in a vacuum that could be suffering from any one of these things. Like there's no way that he's like the lone health, like unhealthy person in this entire web. There's no way. No, no. And, and let's not discount the massive connection between trauma and a lot of personality disorders. So if he's not the only person in this family with a personality disorder, like, just by statistics. It's not possible. Alone. Like, it's just not possible. <laughs> no. So there is, there's a lot of pathology going on in this family. Do I think it's pathology that leads any of them to be incompetent or to be declared not responsible mm-hmm. for their actions? No, I don't. Again, the reasons why I kind of talked about, like, him cleaning the gun and him talking to his mom afterward. There was clear intent behind yeah. all of these actions. Okay. Yeah, I just I'm I've so I I found this uh really I'm sure you looked at it, this family tree, roots of a crime family. Oh god, it is marked up in my one note so hard. And it's it's fascinating to look at when you see it all together and you see how they're all related. We should certainly link to this when we put together the socials. Like Yeah. When you look at this and you just see the sheer scope of this family. Like like you said, like the statistics don't match up that he's going to be the only person suffering with and struggling, right? Um, and then you've got this like ethos and mentality that I feel like has made that pathology part of like the family bread and butter, I guess. Like, yeah, it's like family every family has like a, a personality, a culture, right? And like that is their family culture. So... Like, I just, I, I feel like it's really misleading to think of Nico Jenkins as the face of this case in a lot of ways. Like, there are 20 yeah. billion faces to this case, you know? <laughs> Which is why, like, I I hope our listeners understand why I thought it was so important to kind of go through that family history and talk about how all of these people kind of fit together because it was yeah. building a culture. And I think building in a way mm-hmm. a family cult. yeah totally family members are saying i was afraid to say anything i was afraid yeah. to speak up you have family members egging each other on to mm-hmm. commit literal murder yeah i mean there's there's the cult like aspect but then like we've talked about before like there's also a strong correlation between how cults operate and how gangs operate and uh, it, it looks yeah. like looking at this map, like a lot of the members of the family also have gang affiliations. And it, it, but it's almost like their family yes. is its own gang affiliation. I, like, I think that you could make a strong argument for this family's activities to be considered gang activity. Like, I think you could very strongly make that argument. So we will actually kind of talk about there are words thrown around like initiation. Mm-hmm. 
and things like that kind of going into things i even think about like erica saying oh you took Mm -hmm. my first kill in kind of that like gang initiation way yeah like there was supposed to be a first kill right like that's yeah yeah like Mm -hmm. there was supposed to be there's so much going on and i agree with you like when i read all of these cases or like all of all of this work and it all Mm -hmm. surrounds nico but i feel like you're missing so much of the story if you don't integrate all of his family members so um we're gonna jump to august 29th again i want to reinforce he was released from prison july 30th so this all happens in less than a month so now we're gonna go to august 29th a call comes into police from one of nico's girlfriends i believe it was floyd again she seemed to be kind of the most intertwined in all of this um she calls the police and he is arrested for making Hmm. terroristic threats it's reported kind of from this police report that nico demanded money from her and she refused to give him any more money she had already given him given him literally thousands of dollars and when she refused nico began threatening her saying that he would send demonic forces to kill Hmm. her and her family he begins to intimidate her, invoking the name of Apophis and acting erratically. She gets so scared she calls the police and files Jeez. terroristic threats on him. Okay. That is what gets Nico finally arrested and off the streets. Nico is held in police custody for a few days on the charges of terroristic threats. But it's not until September 3rd he is brought in for questioning for the murders of Pena, Ruiz, Bradford, and Kruger. Jenkins sits down with detectives. The detectives' names are John Pankonen? Pankonen. John Pankonen and David Schneider. And basically, as soon as he sits down, he sits down and he says, this is going to be a long night. When we're here talking, it just comes out like a computer. Okay. Well, he knows himself. Yeah. Yeah, he just knows himself. And let me tell you that this boy talks. Interesting. This boy talks for eight hours. There is video of parts of the interrogation. Before I get into the confession, I want to talk a little bit about our detectives and kind of how they decide to approach this. Again, they already had, they had already suspected of this. They already had a collection of some evidence. Um, So they send in these two kind of veteran detectives, John Pinconan, um, is a 19-year veteran of the police force who had been doing criminal investigations for years. David Schneider was a 10-year veteran, kind of known for a more hard-lined approach during his interviews. And they go into it with this with a nice good old-fashioned good cop, bad cop with Nico. So as Nico's settling into the room, a non-detective, just kind of a regular cop, kind of walks him in. Nico sits down and says he's ready to talk about Kruger's murder because he wants to give the family closure, is what he says. I want to give the family closure. It's, it, I'm ready for that. Yes, yes. Big old middle finger. The detectives that walk him in then kind of leaves to say, I'm going to get you coffee. And Nico Jenkins kind of yells back at him. He's like, I don't like to be alone. I want to speak to somebody. Obviously, I'm schizophrenic bipolar, sir. They need to hurry up when I'm in this mind frame so that when I speak to you, it's clear. Is that an exact quote? That is an exact quote. Wow. 
This is going to get bonkers. So Detectives Pinconan and Schneider first just decide they're going to, we're going to let this boy talk. We're going to let this boy talk. Jenkins says, basically, tell me what you have on me already. So that quote, that way, I know if I have to go get it for you because these are my cousins. Jeez. So like he's all immediately ready to throw his family under the bus. First, he denies having anything to do with Kruger's murder. Then he asks for protection because he's go he's he admits he's like I'm going to turn against my family so you have to protect me. He then accuses two cousins on his like distant cousins on his dad's side of this who literally really? would be proven to have nothing to do with anything. He just grabs in whatever random cousins he can think of and says mm. that it was those two's quote ritual sacrifice. Again, Police look into this. They're like, okay, these two cousins had nothing to do with anything. Police move on, and they start to push him and poke him a little bit, and they start to ask him about Bradford's murder. Nico says, yeah, I was getting into mischief, but it wasn't nowhere near what the police are trying to say. They're trying to blame me for my own homeboy's murder on me. This is my little homie. It's on Facebook, me and him throwing up gang signs. Mm -hmm. So he's like, no, not me. That's my homie. That's my boy. Oh, my God. Jenkins then offers to go undercover with a wire to get information for them and blames another cousin for the shooting. He says that some cousins who, quote, idolize him did it to bring him a trophy and started calling it a trophy killing. Police start to ask him about his mental health. He says he used to take medications, but now he self-medicates by working out and, quote, talking to these immortals hmm. and talks about going to war with the voices in his head. Then he asks to call his girlfriend. Don't know which one. Telling detectives. Oh, I love this. This is my favorite part. He starts to tell detectives how he was in love with this girlfriend and that meeting her daughters made him want to do better. And he said, quote, oh the God. love of her children has warmed the coldest in my heart. This is when you start to be like, fuck off, Nico Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. At some point, the detectives are like, okay, fuck this. Like, we're really tired of this playing. They tell him, like, hey, your family members have already fingered you. They've already said your name. We have your guns, your ammunition are being tested. We're taking your DNA. We have surveillance videos. Mm. And they say the charges are inevitable. So what do you want to do about it? Yeah. That's when we start to see kind of this veneer really break down. He starts giving excuses and saying that he was never in the club. He's never been to that club. He's never seen that gun, blah, blah, blah. As they're like showing him the evidence. And then he starts... Rapidly whispering to himself. Detective Schneider's like, what are you doing? And Jenkins says, quote, due to my psychotic state, I do a lot of bizarre things. I snort my own semen, bro. I have no words at all. None. I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is that can't feel good. You don't, want to, you don't want to dive very deeper into that one. <laughs> I, I, I need to know more about what this man has to say. I, but I like that that's what he uses as an example of, like, I am not well. I snort my own semen. 
<laughs> like, like, do you understand? <laughs> do you think he actually did it? I think that he, so far, is somebody that likes to experiment with his body. So I wouldn't be, it doesn't surprise me. Like, at, at its premise, it doesn't surprise me at all. Do I think that he had, like, a, a semen snorting habit that, like, I don't know about that. But, like, do I believe that he certainly would have, like, tried it? Absolutely. No question. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about it that way, totally. I mean, there are totally, yes. there are people out there that just freely drink their own urine. I bet there is some weird alpha male ass, like, fucking omega beta male bullshit I'm that sure you have to drink your own semen to increase your testosterone. <laughs> Ben Shapiro needs to drink more of his own semen because I don't see much testosterone in that man. <laughs> maybe you try you maybe you snort it. You gotta cut out the middleman a little bit. Ben Shapiro, tell us about <laughs> your semen drinking habits. I mean, if there's anybody out there that knows, it's gotta be Ben Shapiro, right? <laughs> Please oh write us midwretched at gmail.com. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> For all your contributions to humanity. God, your no contributions. Anyway, ugh. Okay, so at this point, Jenkins is sitting just alone with Schneider, who starts going hard. We got the ballistics, we got the DNA, we got the phone tracking. Jenkins starts slipping. He's given details. He's cracking under the pressure. And Snyder goes, facts, you shot him. Facts, you shot him both. Point blank. It's a really fun, like, little video to watch. <laughs> He lingers, and then he leaves. I'll, I'm going to send you the video. It's good. Um, and then uh, Pinokin comes in. Jenkins is all agitated by the time he comes in. And he says, I need to, I need to finish speaking with Schneider because he's, 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 got, he's putting me in a bad state of mind, and I need to finish this. Meaning he needs to finish his confession. Pinokin then says, you don't need to finish this. We've got it. We got your DNA. Now, do you want to do a dramatic reading with me? Absolutely. Would you like to do a dramatic reading? Do you want to be Pano- Panconan or Pan Jenkins? Conan. I'm trying to figure out what he looks like because I want to have like a mental picture. I'll be Panconan. All right. I'm going to be Jenkins and I'm going to say that's impossible. It's not impossible. I got you. Let that sink in your head. I got you in Andrea Kruger's car, and you denied it earlier. That's impossible. Are you serious? I am serious. Now we got a problem. You need to start making it right. Right now. Now is the time, Nico. For a death of a 33-year-old gal with three kids, she did not deserve that, Nico. So this whole time, you felt the same way that the Omaha police felt. You believed the same thing. Pan Conan leans in, eyeballing Jenkins. Leaning in and eyeballing. <laughs> it's not believing. I know. My point is, what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm going to give you the murderer. Do you not realize I got Nico Jenkins? Do you not realize that? I've got Nico Jenkins. I've got you. Yeah, end scene. <laughs> Theater. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful friend. Thank it's you. fun to watch that video. It's fun to watch that video when Pinkonen's like, 
do you not realize I got Nico Jenkins? I love that. <laughs> I love the swagger. Ah, uh, it is. It's good swagger. Hey. So. I want another So picture. at this Sorry. point, we're five hours into the interrogation. So it's about midnight-ish. Jenkins finally admits to being the murder of Andrea Kruger. He admits to being at the murder of Andrea Kruger, but still denies being the shooter. Nobody's buying it. It's at this point, five hours in, that Jenkins starts bringing up Apophis. He starts muttering under his breath in something he calls ancient Greek. Starts talking about underworld evils and the serpent god. Mm. He says, I want you to know it takes me over. I don't have no control over it. That's what I told all these people at the Nebraska Department of Corrections. I knew this was coming. This is not me. I do not want to do these things. This is my psychosis to overpower these people's minds, overpower weaker souls with Apophis. I could go on quoting from this interrogation, but I won't. Mm -hmm. But it's basically they confront him. They say, we got you. We got the evidence. And suddenly Apophis starts to show up. Jenkins tries to sell that the murder of Andrea was a sacrifice or that he was controlled by demonic forces. He starts to blame the Nebraska DOC. He says he wasn't sleeping. He couldn't sleep until he killed someone to appease the demons, that the murders weren't his choice. He had to do this. It wasn't planned. All of that stuff. Now, again, this is where I think that it's kind of important that we talk about, like, his mindset leading up to it. Yeah. Especially we have evidence of that in the Bradford case. And we have evidence that all of his other family members are there as part of this. Mm. If we did not have his other family members taking part in these murders and encouraging him and testifying that yes then he went to clean off the gun yes then we tried to hide this murder then we did this that and the other then i think that we would need to take the insanity case a little bit more seriously yes okay yeah the police then kind of start to kind of pick in little ways like they do they ask andrea if she fought back he nods and says "Uh uh-huh the police asked if she screamed he says yes They ask him about the murder of Bradford, and that's when he starts, quote, speaking in tongues. Mm. There's a transcript from the interview where he's trying to, like, I had a gun, I had a 12-gauge, I told him, blah, 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 speaking in tongues. Mm. He killed, blah, 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 and I felt that, blah, 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 do the job. It, It really feels very fake. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jenkins then mentions that his mom has bought the bullets, which fits with the surveillance video that they already had. Again, throughout all of this, he's stringing together lines of thought. He is speaking pretty clearly, except for that, like, part where he starts to, like, quote unquote, speak in tongues. He talks about strolling for victims at McDonald's, specifically why they drove to that specific alley with Curtis Bradford. He's laying out mens rea. Mm. Right? Yeah. He eventually confesses to everything by early morning. They get what they need. Panconan says, I'm proud of you. Hmm. <laughs> so when I tried to Google Panconan, because I want to see what he looked like, this is what I got. <laughs> yes, that's a video of that. Uh, this that. is now my Google beat background. <laughs> 
Yes, that is. That's Nico Jenkins' interrogation video. It sure is. It sure is. Yeah, it's, it's a trip to watch. Yeah. Again, it's... Uh, I don't know, y'all. Oh. So, again, we're going to process what happened in that eight hours. 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. We've talked about, like, late night confessions and things like that. And I think that that is, you know, we can talk about that as, like, a legitimate bad interrogation technique. Mm -hmm. Um, He's clear-headed when all of it starts. It's five hours into it that he really starts talking about the psychosis. And it's only after they confront him with the plethora of evidence that they have. Mm. He's actively trying to cover his tracks, displace blame, first on cousins, then other family members. He's throwing people under the bus, which, again, shows me that he knows he committed a crime, that there will be consequences for this, and he has to cover it up somehow. Yeah, yeah. Not the mind of a of somebody who is not competent by insanity. Mm-hmm. So much shit happens in court. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, his whole ass family is going to end up in court. His mom, his uncle, his sister. Erica, like I said, ended up getting a life sentence for her own involvement. Not only that, she got a life sentence and then she attacked Christine Bordeaux because they were kept in the same jail. Oh, wow. Because Christine Bordeaux would flip on the family. Warren Levering, Lori Sales all went to served differing sentences like legit each one could get a 20 to 30 minute fucking episode yeah but we're gonna stick with nico because we're not even fucking done we are on okay we're on page 10 of 13 okay i was about to say like is this gonna be a three-parter i thought about it but i can't i can't do that to myself yeah (laughs) but i know that you need a shower so i'm disgusted (laughs) all right so uh so Nico's charged with the four, four murders. At his arraignment, Nico did not speak or respond to charges. He was mute the entire time. Mm. A plea of not guilty was entered on his behalf, which is typical in, cer- in circumstances like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you don't speak during your arraignment, they enter a plea of not guilty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's going to undergo a fucking bajillion competency hearings. Yes. One evaluation completed an iq test his fsiq was found to be 68 bullshit which exact that's literally my next bullet point is bullshit yeah i think he faked bad even jenkins said that this is bullshit in later competencies he would say himself quote this is what i want you to know this is what i want the public to know I never ever deemed myself to be incompetent or lacking in intellectual capacity. Why'd you take him off of your background? Because he was scaring me. And I <laughs> want to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> I kept like, like when I saw that picture on the Google, I like literally jumped and I was like, oh, this will be amusing for a minute. And then when I shifted it, it was his eyeball just like... <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's too scary. Uh, I have not been sleeping okay. very well because this well butrin has me feeling like I'm on crystal meth and I just like, I want, I want to sleep. Oh, friend. Okay. I guess I won't make you keep it. It's I mean, it, it might come back later. It might come back later. But this is what I want to feel. This is how I want to feel. Pink puffy clouds? Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. I get it. 
Um, anyway, so even Jenkins said, I'm not incompetent. I am not dumb. I am fully intellectually capable. Interesting. Um, I mean, there's various things that could have led to that 68, aside from faking bad, although I think faking bad was the primary part of it. Sure. Remember, he stopped attending school around 11. Mm. Um, it's very likely he had issues with attention and executive functioning. Again, look at yeah. how he committed the crime. Not exactly mm-hmm. executive functioning master. Right. <sighs> Frustration, tolerance, cooperation, vocabulary all play a role. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. I'll do a mini-sode about it. Um... <laughs> There was, once again, disagreement by several psychologists and psychiatrists that evaluate him and his competency. All agree that he is mentally ill. First of all, you know who I'm going to call out? Dr. Todd Grande on YouTube (laughs) covered this case and totally copped the fuck out on it. Really? Yes. I like his videos usually. But he, like, covered this case and did, like, a little mini sesh on it. And then he was like, but you know what I find the most disturbing is that he slipped through the cracks and everybody was too focused on arguing about his diagnosis, blah, 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 and never provided a profile. And I'm like, Dr. Todd. Yes. Dr. Todd. Is this not what you're here to do, Dr. Todd? This is not what you're here to do. Yeah. So here we go. You guys already heard my take on it. Anyway. um, At me, Dr. Todd. Yeah. (laughs) anyway we like you otherwise i do i really like you otherwise which is why i was mad about that yeah anyway so let's revisit kind of our old definition of legal competency our old friend the dusky decision that the person to be competent must have sufficient present ability to consult with his lawyer in a reasonable degree of rational understanding and whether he has a rational as well as factual understanding of the proceedings against him being determined incompetence is substantially different from undertaking an insanity defense. Competence regards the defendant's state of mind at the time of the trial, while insanity regards his state of mind at the time of the crime. We already talked about insanity. So what do we think about his competence? Well, I think it's really murky. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like he has created a scenario that makes it really 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 hard to make that measure right like and and how much of that scenario that he has crafted out of like manipulation tactics and how much of it is is his real you know pathology i don't know where Mm -hmm. one starts and the other one stops but i do feel like both are a factor right Mm -hmm. so if he doesn't know then how can the rest of us know so like i guess i feel like like if if there are ever situations where where that evaluation for competency does not yield a clear result, I feel like this is probably that. This is one of the murkiest kind of cases I've ever seen with it. Right. So here's my question. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about competency at the time of of the trial-ish, right? Like we're, we're deciding whether or not you're able to participate in your own defense. When you have something going on like bipolar... Is it possible, like, if, if you've got the combination of bipolar and schizophrenia, like, is it possible that you would have episodes of competence and episodes of not competence, right? It is. Like, if you had schizoaffective or bipolar or anything like that because of how the waves of symptoms come in. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say so necessary. Bipolar is trickier. Um, sure. They're all fucking tricky. Yeah. But... 
I would imagine, and again, not being a forensic psychologist, I would imagine that there would be times, and I think that that's why sometimes they wait for somebody to get treatment. And you'll see that a lot of like, okay, we're going to send this person for treatment, and then we're going to see what happens, which Mm -hmm. is what would eventually happen with Nico. Mm -hmm. Okay. To be able to say, like, this person is not currently competent, so we're going to get them treatment, Mm -hmm. and then we will reevaluate them, and then they will stand trial. And we actually see that happening quite a lot. And that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Procedurally, it makes a lot more sense than trying to, like, I don't know, like, his base nature is so chaotic that, Mm -hmm. like, without that being under some semblance of control, I don't know how you could trust your assessment one way or the other, right? Like, I feel like if you came away from that and decided incompetent, but then there are conversations with him where he seems very much on the ball. And then Mm -hmm. if you were to say, no, he is competent. And then you get these other episodes where he's talking about snorting semen and hanging out with snake gods. Like (laughs) it doesn't, you know, like it just seems really cyclical and like it's on waves. And I don't know how you could trust if he was at a certain state of mind during one wave, you can't trust to stay that way. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, I do think that having seen videos and listened to interviews with him, I do think that he has a level of paranoia. Mm -hmm. I think there is a very good likelihood of mania. Mm -hmm. And he obviously has PTSD, which we know can contribute and result in some kind of erratic behaviors and things like that. Yeah. None of those things by themselves or even in combination equal incompetence right yeah well because at the end of the day competence is really all about again like do you understand the crime you're being accused of do you understand the charges before you do you understand the the consequences of of any one of these scenarios playing out do you understand what you're accused of doing do you understand and appreciate the gravity of what you're accused of doing And so I think when we break it down that way, I think that we can look at competence on like two levels. One is the cognitive and intellectual level. Do you have the cognitive understanding of what is happening around you? Mm -hmm. And like to do the problem solving and the reading and to understand what your lawyer is talking to you about. We Mm -hmm. saw that in the Joe Arity case. He did not have that cognitive understanding. Yeah. And from what I, we know so far, I feel like we could track that Nico does have that cognitive understanding. Oh, 1,000%. And we'll get into more information about that. But then the other side is, does he have the reality testing? Mm -hmm. Is he grounded in reality enough to know this is real and that is not? Yeah. And that, so if we want to think about examples, that was what Ed Gein, that he did not have the reality testing sufficient enough to know what is real and what is not. Yeah. The, what was it? The, oh God, vampire of Sacramento, Richard Chase. Ah, Richard Chase. They kind of, for him, it was a lack of reality testing. He didn't know what was real and what was, and what wasn't. Okay. That's interesting. So I think when we look at it from those two standpoints, that's helpful for helpful for me. Yeah. So after the first round of competency evaluations, we're at February 2014. Jenkins is officially found competent to stand trial. They put his next hearing set for March 2014. Jenkins waives his right to counsel and chooses to represent himself. Well, there's a plot twist. Yeah. Lovely plot twist, right? Mm -hmm. The judge on this case, Peter Battalion, you have no idea. 
I was pronouncing that name wrong <laughs> for a solid month. That's awesome. And I made it so much harder for myself. Are you like, Batayon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I watched a video and I was like, it was battalion this whole time. Like, are you fucking yep. kidding me? <laughs> I was like, why am I like this? <laughs> um, anyway, in court, when Jenkins is like, now nah, I'm going to represent myself. I waive my right to counsel. Battalion's like, uh, son, you sure you want to do this? I gave him a Southern accent. I don't know why, but I wanted him to have that in my head. Mm. Basically, like, son, are you sure you want to do this? These are serious charges, and it is difficult for even a highly experienced attorney to do this. Yeah. Very much me paraphrasing that. But at that time, Jenkins starts rattling off a bunch of case law, like legitimate actual cases, not just blabber. Mm. That allows him to do this and apparently makes like halfway decent legal arguments for this. He's rattling off case names so fast that the court reporter had to ask him to slow down. Wow. To which he says, I just got done working out so my testosterone's raging. Okay. Uh, Okay. But it would seem that the level of competence from what I was reading and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. The level of competence you need to waive your right to counsel is basically the same as that that you need to stand trial for yourself. Like, it's kind of the same standard. And they find that Jenkins have him sit in court, say, like, I voluntarily and intelligently waive my right to counsel. Mm -hmm. And Battalion kind of at this point has no choice but to let him do it, but does appoint a public defender to advise him. And that public defender's name is Tom Riley, and this poor man... (laughs) This poor man. Yeah. Only ever makes a few statements in court, but he seems so exasperated with every statement that he makes. (laughs) How could you not be? So uh, then Jenkins at the next hearing says, okay, I'm going to waive my right to a jury trial and enter a plea. And he first asked to enter a plea of no contest. Okay. Basically, no contest in this context, it essentially means that you're not pleading guilty, but you're letting the court decide a punishment Yeah. without you saying I'm guilty. Right. And Battalion's like, you can't really do that. You need to say guilty or not guilty. And poor little Tom Riley is like, dude, we've been over this. <laughs> he's like, I know. He's, he's like, I know. I've said this. And at this point, like, a no contest plea functions kind of the same way as a guilty plea because you're letting the court decide. Right. And I'm just going to read Jenkins' reasoning for saying this. He says that, quote, even though this physical person, meaning himself, may have been in the act of these things, he was not in that moment because of his psychosis condition of psychotic mania. Okay. So he's saying, my hands did this, but I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it's just, I feel like, like, my knee-jerk response to that is, like, is he, like, thinking back to his own story? And he's like, I'm just tired of talking about this shit. Like, let me try to plead no contest and just be, be done. I have thoughts, but I'm going to finish going through this. Yeah, because, but he doesn't... He doesn't always read to me like a malignant narcissist. Like, that's the thing. It's like, he's got all these other things going on, but he doesn't always read to me like that. That's why I feel like it's bipolar. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I feel like it, it, there is a definitely, there is a definite mood cycling. Um, yeah. 
but it, no part of it really feels like a particular like self-aggrandizement really like the girlfriends do with the tattoos on their faces but that's that's their face like I I would ar- again I didn't go into this too much but I would argue that he pushed that on them. Yeah. Um anyway. So sentencing is set for August 2015. So the actual sentencing is again pushed back a million times cuz they do another round of competency hearings before they do sentencing. Again, He's pleading no contest saying I'm giving the court the the choice to decide my punishment. If we recall to other cases in Nebraska, this is a death penalty case, mm-hmm. which means that that three judge panel has to hear him out. Yeah. So the actual sentencing is again pushed back. They've got a bunch more rounds of competency hearings while we're going through this process Jenkins actually does get housed in the Lincoln Regional Center, the psychiatric facility, where he is getting treatment, which I think is a good thing because then at no point can they say, we didn't offer you the treatment. Mm, Like, we we set you up for success to get treatment and to gain competence so that when this goes to appeal, which it inevitably will – you can't say, I was denied treatment for my mental health, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So he did get treatment there. A lot of his symptoms did seem to stabilize. Both Jenkins and later evaluators said that while he was at Lincoln, he had no incidences of aggression, self-injury, psychotic symptoms, or any of the like during the time of the extended evaluation at Lincoln Regional Center. Mm-hmm. Which means that once again, he is declared competent to stand trial. Yeah. During that time, however... Nico attempts to sue the state of Nebraska for allowing him to leave prison. And that I think is fair. I think that is fair. Again, I still go back to that. The Nebraska Department of Corrections has blood on their hands. 100%. Yes. Nico has blood on his hands and so does Nebraska. Mm -hmm. 100%. He would obviously lose this lawsuit. Whatever. But from what I heard and what I was reading, he actually made decent legal arguments and filling out, like, was able to fill out all the paperwork, was able to kind of do this and show competence in doing all of that. So, again, we have more ticks in the competency stand. So, he is... Declared competent during the death penalty hearings. He is... He once again asked to defend himself during the hearings. Mm -hmm. Judge Battalion, again... You can tell, like, in court, he's having this, like, internal back and forth. Like, there are filings where he says he's going to go revisit his old decisions. Mm. Battalion says, fine, you can defend yourself, but you have to keep your legal advisor. Mm. Nico objects to this, using the evidence that, hey, I've already made all these legal filings. I can defend myself. I'm competent, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Again, he's not the one trying to say he's not competent. Right. Now, at this point, now he's saying he's not competent. You don't get to turn it off. Well, do you get to turn it off and off, though? Like that's Do you? The, that's do the question. You? Like, I, my initial was like, you don't get to turn that off and on. But with him, it kind of seems like he does. By nature. Like, that, ugh. I, I'm very confused by this man. Let, let me get to the end, because I have, I have, like, a little postscript okay. kind of post thingies. All right. So uh, he is defending himself for the death penalty hearing. 
he's not saying he's saying I'm competent I can do this blah 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 there's more back and forth he's saying no I want the death penalty or like I want this to be a death penalty case I want my three judge panel why do you why do you want this to be a death penalty case why do you want to go to the three judges now is when Tom Riley interjects and he says my client or my co-counsel believes that the panel can allow him to overturn or withdraw the no contest plea which would overturn the first conviction that's why he wants to go to the three judge panel that's why he's in such a hurry to go to the three judge panel doesn't make any sense no again like (sighs) you can be competent and you can be bright and not understand all of this legal shit. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly complicated. But his counsel is telling him that is not how this works. Mm-hmm. The judge, the three judge panel literally is only going to tell you whether or not you get the death penalty. Yeah. Nothing else. Right. So Battalion kind of, again, takes pains to explain this to Jenkins. Mm. He says, that is not what will happen if you entered a no contest plea, this panel is only going to decide if you get life or if you get, oh, or if you get lethal injection. Yeah, yeah. That is all they are going to decide. But Jenkins says, no, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prove misconduct by the police. And everybody is like, that is not what is going to happen. Oh my gosh. Like, dude, that's not the, it's, it's like going to a Chili's and ordering like a filet mignon. Like, that's not what that's for. It's <laughs> not what that's for. <laughs> When I used to work at Panera, people used to always come in and ordered star- and would order Starbucks drinks. <laughs> and I'd be like, I can't do that for you, sir. Yeah, that's not what that's not where we are. Do you are you aware of where you are? And that's what I feel like is happening here. Mm-hmm. And Jenkins finally is just like, fine, I'm prepared to go to death row, but I won't be there for long. Mm. Okay, so you're going to appeal. But why are you ready to go on death row? Jenkins gets moved back to prison. Battalion got word that once Jenkins got moved from Lincoln to the prison, that's when he started self-mutilating. Again, cutting his face, scarification. It's at this point that he was found to have mutilated his tongue and his penis into the shape of a snake. Ouch. So again, we're like, are you diving back into the mental illness? Is this manipulation? Is this what? An officer that reported seeing this said that Jenkins was completely calm, showed no reaction, no sign of pain while he was doing this. He was methodical and intentional, Hmm. which would be used as a sign of like, you have to be in a state of psychosis to be doing that without expressing pain. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we get another reevaluation of his competence. Mm. This one results in a 32 page document that's released saying sorry guys he still understands the charges and the consequences he's still competent acting as his own lawyer he is given a chance to review the report but he refuses he says i will no longer take part in any evaluations i am competent let's move forward give me my panel Hmm. so finally may 2017 so this is four years after the murders, which is slow in Nebraska standards. It is. Yeah. But Nebra- everyone is like, states. what the heck? This is so confusing. <laughs> it even took I know. This is very, very fast for the rest of the country. Very, very slow for Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. 
Jenkins is sentenced to death plus 450 years. For the murders of Rees, Pena, Bradford, and Kruger. The 450 years will stand whether or not the death penalty does. Mm, yeah. In their 30-page sentencing document, the judging panel found that no statutory mitigating factors and two non-statutory mitigating factors would be included in the sentencing, his childhood abuse, and his mental health. However, these factors did not approach or exceed the weight given the aggravating circumstances and the fact that this was one of the worst spree killings in the history of Nebraska. Yeah. It was cold-blooded thrill kills. Yes, 100%. And that much, I feel like, is, is not arguable. There's nothing else going on but that. No, no. Obviously, there were appeals, and I feel like this is where... This is where Jenkins' head always was, was with the appeals. Was that he was always planning on appealing, saying, I can prove misconduct, I can prove this, that, and the other... Um, he is now stating that he was never competent to enter those pleas. That's where the appeals are going. Yeah. And he's got the ACLU working with him now, which is also Does really he? interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so the ACLU has taken him on. I can't get behind it. Yeah. I think, and again, I am not privy to a lot of the details of the evaluations, but he seemed grounded in reality when he entered those pleas. Yeah. So I think that he is clearly a bright person. He clearly spends a lot of his time in, in the prison library. Mm -hmm. I don't have a second's question about his cognitive capacity. Yeah. In prison right now, he, um, so in prison prior, he had at least a dozen suicide attempts. He is currently getting involuntary injections of psychiatric medications, most likely the Risperdone and probably other medications. This is involuntary. So basically, he gets a monthly injection. He is not allowed to say no to it. So, and but I think that that kind of brings up an interesting question. Of, and his lawyers now have said it is inappropriate that you keep him involuntarily medicated to keep him competent oh that's really interesting it's an interesting argument but oh that's there's thoughts there that i am too tired to flesh out (laughs) well so here's what i think is an interesting complicating factor too so the aclu um has is working with nico jenkins to some degree they have filed a petition uh Mm -hmm. for a writ asking for the Supreme Court to basically um, examine whether or not his constitutional rights of, uh, well, all of them, I was thinking eighth, but um, sixth and eighth amendments were, were violated, cruel and unusual punishment due to his time in solitary confinement, which um, made it possible, well, set up the scene for these murders to happen. So it's, it's, it's the other way of, of looking at what we were kind of looking at before where, yeah. you know, the state of Nebraska does have some blood on their hands here uh, within their they, DOC. Yeah. This ACLU petition is that, right? Like, it's that claim. When When is that from? 2019. Okay, so in 2020, the Supreme Court refused to hear that case. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
the in 2020 i don't know if it was that one or if he's filed multiple which wouldn't surprise me but in 2020 he appealed to the supreme court and they refused to hear the case interesting which which mean it fell down to the lower court's decision Mm -hmm. which and here's my thing with that yes in my opinion solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment yeah totally yes i think that it did exacerbate anything that he did have going on Mm -hmm. also why can't we just give all prisoners adequate mental health treatment? Right. Like, <laughs> should be as standard as serving them lunch. Like, seriously. Like, that, I think that that is where my mind always goes, is that for those 10 years that he was in prison originally, they fought so hard to not give him mental health treatment. And why? Yeah. Like, why not give him mental health treatment being in prison is a trauma yeah and like this is where philosophically i think the question of justice comes in right because like (laughs) if you define and think of justice as how do i make a situation right when it is wrong yeah providing all parties involved with adequate mental health support Mm -hmm. is justice right like you are taking the wrong and a part of this wrong being the person who committed those crimes. I look like God with this like cloudy background. I know. I, I, I like this. I'm going to I'm going to make you bigger on my screen. Oh. OK, yes. Speak to me. Speak to me, goddess. Well, here's I mean, at the end of the day, Speak like to me, Leo rising, like <laughs> actually I'm a Leo moon. Thank you. Uh, Libra rising. Um at the end of the day, like justice is about making a situation right that was wrong, I guess, is where I'm where my head yes. keeps going. And writing the parties involved is justice, right? Like provide mm-hmm. like fi- fixing somebody, for lack of a better word. How is that not justice? Unless you think justice equals consequence. And that's a and I, I recognize that there are people that think that way. But well, and, I, and that is the way that the American kind of penal system is set up right right? i mean the keyword there being penal right like that's the the point yeah penal (laughs) (laughs) so and nico jenkins is guilty there was blood on his hands oh my gosh nico jenkins erica jenkins warren levering Lori jenkins (laughs) this whole ass family tree is guilty back like seven generations (laughs) yes yes i'm sorry the nebraska department of corrections is guilty yeah again and this doesn't i'm not trying to like take the guilt and parse it out to different people Mm -hmm. i'm just it's both and like nico jenkins can be fully and 100 culpable which he was that doesn't mean that nebraska having blood on their hands it's not a mutually exclusive yeah premise at all right it's just it's it's incredibly frustrating it is it is because and I really don't think that, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, you go. I, I get very angry about crimes that I'm like, this didn't need to happen. Yeah. I can point to, I can pinpoint something that could have stopped this. Yes. And it was that moment of when he was about to be released or not. Like you can zero in right on that without question. When he's saying, when he's saying, I want a civil commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you fight so hard? against keeping a dangerous man in a safe place yeah yeah 
It's almost like it's not really about public safety. You know? Mm -hmm. So, and this is also, again, why I think that there is definitely some mental health stuff. But also, I... When, anytime I think about paranoia, I always have to come back to this. Paranoia is always rooted in a reality, right? Mm-hmm. In that podcast that I listened to, Unfor- Unforbidden Truth, they interview Nico Jenkins, and you can hear the paranoia of, like, this was a conspiracy. This was set up to me. The whole, they wanted, you know, the state of Nebraska wanted to do this to me for XYZ reason, and so they set up all of these situations. I hear the paranoia, but I also hear what's rooted in reality there. Mm-hmm. Was that he was set up for failure. 100%. Yeah. But then he spins it off within a paranoid mm-hmm. thought pattern. Yeah. So. I mean, it, it goes back to the, um, we talked about the the tomato example with, uh, when mm-hmm. we were talking about schizophrenia, like there, there was a root of mm-hmm. an honest grounding and some kind of truth to the I'm a tomato episode and. Mm-hmm. If this isn't exactly that, but it it is like a similar example in the sense that there is there's a root that's real that you can point to that like yeah absolutely you were set up for failure absolutely you were your entire yeah. family was and they made it worse on themselves mm-hmm. they dove into that yeah <laughs> they dove hard so coming back to our um our critical questions <laughs> oh i'm close but let me i gotta find my google doc with my with my critical question my guiding question so our critical questions what does it mean to be competent i feel like we've kind of talked about that one we have for sure for sure i think i i, I like the conclusions that we came to mm-hmm. and then what responsibility do systems hold for the people that they take into their care like what is their responsibility for the actions that those people go on to take I don't know if this is really as maybe it's just because of the headspace that we've been in in our household lately quite a bit. But I think in many ways, this is a fundamental question about where a person stands in regards to the role of government. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, when we talk about the systems that have a responsibility, we use the word systems. What we mean is government. Right. Like, yes. like none of that exists without a, a governing body. Mm-hmm. So if you are somebody that believes in like very small government, then you would probably say little to no responsibility do we have. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If you are somebody that believes in, in large government, then you would say the opposite. But I guess like where I come in is what is our responsibility as a part of the human collective to each other as human beings? Right. Thank you, Chidiana Gonier. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what do we owe each other? <laughs> and that's what I like. I think we owe each other everything. So in my mind, like, absolutely, every system has a responsibility. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when we uphold cultural systems that make it impossible for people to do the right thing, we have a cultural shared responsibility in that. Yeah. You know? I think I think looking at Nico Jenkins, it's interesting because every single system from his family system to the big broad government system mm-hmm. failed him and his siblings, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And along that way, you've got schools, you've got even like small degrees of municipality that make it more easy, easy for someone to to do bad things, you know, mm-hmm. you know, do all of those 
all of those spheres failed him, right? So it's yeah. like a little breadcrumb trail of failure that led to yeah. what happened that summer, really. I think that he is like a very good case study of like, how do you create a killer? Mm-hmm. He is, but his whole family is. Like, yeah. How do you create a cult of people who just don't value human life? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, those little comments from mom about like, well, did you get anything for it? Like that kind of stuff. Like that tells us how he was raised to value human life. So. Yeah. I think those are so telling. Yeah. So I almost cut those out, but Mm. I was like, they're so important though. Yeah, like that tells me more about his family culture than being like, oh, he was in a gang or oh, this, that and the other. Like those little comments tell me everything about how he was raised. I mean, I, you know, like I think like even as simplistically as like, like I feel like in in many families, there's kind of like a family ethos or like a family motto. Like I tell my little children, one understands and one just goes goo goo gaga. Like in our family, we always (laughs) tell the truth. That's mm-hmm. part of, you know, in our family, we're always kind to other people. Those are the, the things I communicate to my children that I hope to build a family culture of, right? What these kids are hearing as they grow up is, what did you get out of it? Probably, did you have fun killing somebody? Like, did you do it? Like, were you ballsy enough? Were you big enough? Were you brave enough? Did you, did you become one of us? Did you initiate when you're given those ideas over and over again, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you're creating a family culture, a family ethos that forces that behavior in a lot of ways. Well, and then you spend your formative years in prison mm-hmm. from 16 to 26. Like that's only going to reinforce the very antisocial kind of ideas of, People are there to get you things. People are to spend, like, relationships are disposable. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, a means to an end. Yeah. Jeez, mm-hmm. you got me going on these essential questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My brain is like... <laughs> it's vibrating at a very high frequency. You know what? I know that you don't get much adult interaction, so I'm trying to give you, like, some real adult thoughts. I appreciate that. I I talked to plenty of adults today because we had to take the baby to the doctor, but... Anyway, why don't you tell us about next week? Uh, So next week, we will be taking a look into college culture, Greek life, and we're taking a look at a hazing case. So... (gasps) Yes. I love these. Yes. I, um, it's really interesting. I started with one case and then, um, turned my attention towards another, both are Ohio. So I think I'll do kind of a, they'll be like cousin cases along the way, but yeah, like I'll reference one when I talk about the other, probably quite a bit. Yeah. We're going to be taking a look at a, um, hazing incident at, uh, adorable little university in ohio and which one the aftermath that followed it is ohio university i always want to say ohio state but it's the little one it's ohio university it's yeah the tiny one Mm -hmm. the tiny one oh that's fun my next case is in ohio too so we're gonna be hanging out really okay well goodbye nebraska hello ohio you were fun you're our you're a trip yeah um remind me to never go to omaha i mean yeah Probably. If my last six weeks of research have told me anything, you need a break. Never Omaha. Go to Omaha. Yeah, you need a break. 
So, friends, come back next time. Come to us. Uh, come to Ohio with us. We love Ohio. Um, America's rest pocket. Um, We're the heart of it all. Thank you very I much. I prefer the pocket. I think we look like a little cat head. Oh, that's true. That's true. That got its ears cut off. Yeah. I just think sad. America's shirt pocket is so cute. So, come with us to America's shirt pocket uh, as we discuss <laughs> uh, a hazing incident that led to the death of a very um, sweet and promising young man at Ohio Aww. University. Okay. Well, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Not, I yeah. guess. I it's, know. you know, you know what it is. Um, in the meantime, <sighs> please hang out with us on the socials at Midwretched Everywhere. We love you. We love hearing Yay! from you. Please feel free to weigh in about Nico Jenkins and questions of justice and responsibility and culpability and whether or not one can snort semen. Yeah, y'all, we're on the fence with every question on here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mostly about the snorting semen part. I mean, discussions were had. And so if you were to snort semen. How would you do Would it? you dry it or would you snort it like a loogie? <laughs> Let us know. I'll put a poll. Oh, my God. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have Twitter, so I can't do polls. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. Okay. we. I need to take a shower. I smell All really right. bad. Um, we love you, friends. Oh, wait. Hold on. Backtrack. <laughs> I do the full outro. Be nice. Eat cheese. <laughs> I smell like cheese, which is why I need to leave and go take a shower. I'm Eat. cutting that part, too. We love you. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>